Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hey, Squirrel. So we've got a really interesting article, and when we looked at it, we said, gosh, this isn't going to fit in one episode, so <laughs> I think there may be more coming on this topic, but do you want to tell us about uh, what Mr. Fowler has to say about uh, the state of Agile? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a response that came out recently. Martin Fowler uh, was in Agile Australia, and he's posted um, the transcript of his talk, uh, the state of agile software in 2018. And of course, we'll put the uh, link in the show notes as always. Um, and it, it was really because he talks about really sort of three problem areas that he wanted to highlight. And um, th I think this is, there's more in these three problems than will fit in one episode. So I, we've agreed we're going to talk about the very first one. And I, I love the way he describes that. He says the first problem he describes is the agile industrial complex. <laughs> which... And that's a, that's a reference to the military industrial complex, famous speech by, I think it's Eisenhower. Is that right? That's right. Eisenhower on retiring said this is the, one of the main dangers facing America. And uh, one I think is um, proven sadly prophetic. Um, so the, the agile industrial com uh, complex, and in particular, the, the aspect of, uh, of, of that is the imposition of one best way of doing things. And it's, very, it's very, very clear that this is something we must fight against. And that's interesting because uh, one of the things that, that Fowler says, of course, is that he is part of the agile industrial complex. If you're someone going around um, giving talks and keynotes and things like that, well, in, the, in one hand, you're, you're part of that overall ecosystem. Um, so the real the real enemy here has been the growth of people who are saying this. there's one way to do Agile. That's something I think that we've actually talked about, touched on a little bit in past episodes, but it's common enough uh, that it's worth, I think, um, spending a bit more time on. Now, one thing I found really interesting in our lead up to this was that, uh, Scroll, you have an idea about why it is we've had this growth in um, the one best way of Agile. Sure. Well, and uh, if I remember Eisenhower's speech correctly, and I may, I may not, and worth, worth reading back, but uh, the way I've always understood it is that Eisenhower's view was there were um, forces at work that weren't visible, that there were interests at play that, that did not necessarily serve America's interests. Of course, at that time, it was the Cold War and defeating the Russians and being a successful superpower and so on that were that was America's main set of concerns and that there were people within the government and within the industry that was the notion of the complex who had different interests and it didn't matter how much you fought against them or how much you tried to convince them to do something different they they wanted a different thing they wanted big fat defense contracts to create a massive military because that benefited them. That's how I've always understood Eisenhower's speech. Now, we're not exactly creating nuclear weapons here, so at least most of us are not, so I'm, I'm not so worried about the consequences, say, for global survival. But it, it does occur to me that there are people within organizations, and I'd, I'd, I'd call them the late majority. These are people who didn't come to Agile. We've talked about uh, communities of needs versus communities of solutions. They, they didn't come to Agile with a need that they wanted to create better software, or they wanted to have joy and ease at work, or one of many different things that motivated early Agile pioneers. They are motivated by finding solutions to problems they perceive, and they may not perceive those problems the same way that you and I do. 
And this comes back to a notion we've talked about before, theory X versus theory Y, to, to remind people about that. Theory X says that, hey, uh, our workers are lazy. We need to push them to do particular things. Martin Fowler actually refers to this. He talks about Taylorism, which is kind of the quintessential theory X position. And what we need to do is find the one true way for these people. And if we could just get those lazy developers off their butts, hey, I hear there's this thing called Agile, we could get them to, to write code faster. Theory Y says that the people who are working in the organization need to be part of coming up with a solution, that the solution may be many faceted, may be complicated, it may be different to how I think of it as an executive, and that in, indeed the people who are working on the problem ought to be part of the solution, and there isn't only one best way. I think if you have a Theory X organization, you're going to have an awful lot of difficulty in adopting it, no matter how much fighting against um, Fowler may do. I think there might be a different approach that could be more helpful there. What do you think, Jeffrey? Oh, so I think it's really interesting that if I uh, want to embrace your idea here, you're saying that there's there's these people who have a Theory X mindset, and because they have that mindset, there's no... Um, there's no, there's going to be no progress towards something that's fundamentally theory Y. Even more so that the organization has a theory X mindset, that there's a culture, uh, a, a belief within the organization that at least parts of it or software development, part of it should operate in this way in a command and control theory X style. Well, I think it, it's, it's interesting because uh, it, the, uh, I think people who are in this role, the sort of leadership role in a, um, late majority company, right? So they're adopting Agile because Agile has become the standard. Indeed. We're, we're referring here to crossing the chasm, if you haven't read it, a link in the show notes. That's right. So their, their reason to change that is that something has become the standard. So their problem is to, is to say, we're doing Agile um, because Agile is the thing and not necessarily to, to get great gains. Uh, they're, they're, I think that's part of it is that you're saying their motivation isn't the same as the um, early uh, adopters of Agile who really wanted something better. Indeed. They, they wouldn't subscribe to a lot of the principles about iterativeness and listening to users and um, evolving the software and so on. They just, darn it, why don't they just write the software? I know what it's supposed to do. They just need to write it faster. Could we just get some Agile in here? Could we sprinkle some Agile juice on them so that they could write it faster? <laughs> well, it's funny because it's probably there's an element of truth to that, which is there are people who are looking for the magic fairy dust in, in all kinds of ways. I, I think that one other element, because if I, if I think of the complex side that make this a two-sided problem, um, part of what you're saying is there's people here who would like to think that there's a, uh, a, a simple solution out there. And if we think of the Knesset framework and it talks about problems as being either simple uh, or complicated or complex, um, th these people would really like to believe that this is a, a problem that's either that's simple, that it's just a, the domain of best practices and we just all need to be doing the one thing and it'll be fine. Yeah, and at the very worst, it's complicated, right? At the, which I hope I've got it right. I always mix that one up. The complicated is the one where you just need an expert, right? That's, that's right. Apparently, I think it's really simple and all they'd need to do is type faster, but uh, apparently they need these kind of expert people to show up. Oh, great, let's hire an expert and they'll bring the fairy dust and sprinkle it on the developers and then they'll just know what the right thing to do is and they'll do it and they'll write the darn code faster. Yep. And and uh, and so I think there is a mindset that it's not just about theory X, theory Y, but also the type of problem that they're dealing with. And what that means is they're in the market to buy a particular kind of solution. And this is where now we get the other half of the problem, you have people who are quite willing to sell them that solution. Tell you what, 
we're experts and we're going to come in and make it really simple for you. We're going to give you the one best way. We're going to give you the simple solution of best practices and you'll get everyone doing that. And then you'll, you'll be agile. And it's like tick, tick, tick on the selling side, you're selling solutions to all the problems. And back to Mr. Eisenhower, his argument was that there were, there was exactly this kind of interplay. The, the military wanted to make itself bigger and have more weapons and have bigger and more complex systems. And there were happy industry partners. That's the industry side of the military industrial complex who said, great, write me a contract. I can build you a, a new bomber. It'll only take 10 years and $10 billion. That's so right. it, uh, I think we're, we might be coming to the argument here that there's two sides to this. There's the Theory X um, late majority folks who want a solution. They're part of the community of solutions. And the, uh, the providers, and Fowler, I think, worries that he might be part of this provider end, who say, great, I can give you some fairy dust. It's right here. <laughs> so that, that I think that's a concern. But, he, he, but Fowler is making the argument we should fight for the work term agile and and have it mean something and and fight against this tendency and mm -hmm. that's i think where you were questioning whether that was possible uh or 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 wise or are we better off well I, I don't say that it isn't possible but i think it requires a different order of change so i i still remember long ago i think it was fowler actually uh I, and i think i think it was in in his book on uml i can't remember but um somebody an early agile pioneer saying Hey, if you if you have a culture if you have a cultural problem or a political problem, find yourself a political expert. I don't know about that, and <laughs> that's a, a perfectly valid position to take. But I th I think you would you would benefit from finding such an expert if you find yourself in a late majority company with a theory X mindset, because it, it, that's going to require some cultural change. You're you're going to be fighting the agile industrial complex within your organization, and I I don't think you're going to win just by saying. It would be better if the team had more involvement. It would be better if we talked to users more because the rest of the organization doesn't think that. Well, you know, I, I, I think this is a really interesting point we, sh we, should, we can get into because we do talk a lot about uh, sort of the uh, communication uh, styles and how to have uh, effective conversations because I, I do view that what you're describing ends up being kind of people's default position, maybe even sort of inherited position, but not something that they're really committed to. Um, in my in my experience, that uh, and I'm I know there's, there'll be outliers out there, people who are are diehard. You know they'll they'll uh, you know list theory X and as a as a very closely held tenant. I think a lot of people kind of stumble into it. Um, yeah, that just seems to, it seems to be the normal uh, thing. It's what they see on television and movies. Therefore, they think that's how things are supposed to be. They're they're not really committed to it. What they what they are really concerned about is um, how do they know what they're doing is going to be safe, that they're looking for some security. And so part of what they're buying uh, when they buy that expert is they're buying perceived risk reduction. And that what they want to know uh, is that um, they're not really out of line uh, with what other people are doing. So they're, they're buying a certain sort of security. And that seems positive and healthy to me. It seems sensible for a late majority organization, maybe one for which software is not the cutting edge um, change agent for, for their whole organization to say, well, look, I just kind of want to do what other people are doing well. And I'd be open to doing something that is quite different and maybe making a change in how I approach things in my company. I don't know what that would be, so I'm going to hire an expert to help me. 
that that would be an opening from a theory X organization, but it would require a series of difficult conversations. It wouldn't be something you could just get to by saying, hey, by the way, I'm going to do this thing that you've never heard of before where I iterate and talk to users. Uh, That's right. But I think this is a good uh, point then to come back to sort of Martin Fowler's point that what he is arguing for, think of it this way. He's saying the real danger here is the idea that there is one best way. And people who aren't die hard that there must be one best way. Uh, if they're really open to saying, well, I, I want to make sure I'm I'm doing what everyone else is doing. So if Agile is on the cover of Harvard Business Review, and therefore that's why that's my trigger that we, I want some of that Agile stuff, then being clear about what's important, uh, what does it mean when we say Agile becomes all the more critical. And it, this is the same thought that you and I had when we talked about our series and we went through all the Agile principles. You know, we were, our point was people should have a, a clear sense of what the essence is. And Fowler does the same thing here. He he puts he brings forward one part of the Agile manifesto is really key: individuals and interactions over process and tools, and that people should be choosing the process that they follow, and not just that, but actively encouraged to continue to evolve it and change it. And he he brings in even the line that we've referenced previously, which is if you're doing extreme programming uh, and a year later you're doing extreme programming the same way you were a year prior, you're no longer doing extreme programming. You're not, you're not really doing it if you're not evolving it. That kind of essence, I can say, look, this is a core thing. If, if you have Agile and people aren't able to choose the process, if they're not able to evolve the process, then you're, you're not actually Agile. That kind of thing, I think, can be uh, effective in a conversation with people who genuinely would like to be agile but face real challenges. I remember I was enlightened about what it might be like to operate this scale at a past KitCon in a session uh, about Scrum uh, called Is Scrum Evil? (laughs) And uh, one of the participants, uh, Jamie Dobson, related uh, uh, something that he had experienced, which was uh, someone who ran a very large software organization and he said, you know, the problem with you agilists is that I hire one. You can see here kind of the, 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 the wish for the expert at, at play. I bring one of you in and you tell me how to do things. And then I bring the next person in and you tell me something entirely different. <laughs> and uh, that the first person was wrong. He says, I have to train I, I, 1,500 developers. I, I, I can't have all these people giving me different messages. Who are the communists of the agile party? Who are the people who have a party line and they stick with it? Because I need to make sure that 1,500 people all hear the same story. And that really helped me understand what someone at these large organizations, what what they're hiring is is this combination of what's safe. But part of what's safe is that everyone hears the same message. And uh, so that's part of the challenge they're facing with. Now, how do we um, combine that with this agile principle that, well, people are going to choose the process and they're going to evolve it. How does that fit with the idea we should have one, one, one story that everyone hears? Well, I have an interesting story so, so, uh, that might bring some of these ideas together. I wonder what you think about it. So I have a, a client who um, is larger than my normal ones. 1,500 developers, that's not their world, but they're, they're certainly in the, uh, <clears throat> in the many tens and uh, they have quite a, a large organization. The interesting thing about them is they're somewhat separated from other software organizations 
even though that's their business, they, they only sell software. And so it almost feels like when I go to see them, like I'm going back to the year 2000, they haven't got any continuous integration. They don't write any tests. They've uh, done quite a number of uh, interesting architectural choices, which lead them to have difficulty in creating some of the infrastructure that we're used to in uh, organizations that you and I work in, Jeffrey. And what I found interesting was they brought me in to solve a problem. And that problem was that a project looked like it could be late and similar ones had been. And so they wanted to keep this one on track. But it became rapidly clear that they were in fact going to be late on this and a lot of other projects if they didn't adopt some of the agile principles. And so I uh, went and visited them and I said, folks, I, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is you're going to be late and this project is, is not going to work out well unless we make some pretty fundamental changes. And they said, yeah, squirrel, tell us something we don't know. And I said, okay, good, I will. So here's the good news. There are some principles you could adopt that would help. And I illustrated a couple of different approaches. One was quite radical. It's the thing that people are used to hearing me say on this podcast, I'm sure, let's deliver every day. Let's do elephant carpaccio. Let's um, get the, the team... Uh, getting feedback from users all the time. Let's try headed that way. And they said, Squirrel, we're in the year 2000. We're not ready for 2018 yet. Um, <laughs> good, good. What, what else have you got? And I said, well, I've got this other one where uh, you know you release every couple weeks. And um, the, the fundamental principle is that you're giving value at the end of every sprint. They, they have a sprint that's lasted eight months. And I said, guys, you have to call that a marathon. <laughs> right. It's not a sprint anymore. <laughs> and I said, oh, right. Okay, so we'd actually just stop when the sprint came to an end, when like the calendar said it was, yes, exactly. That's what I mean, guys. So that was one principle. And then the other one was all code has to have tests, even if you can only write them on and run them on your own computer. But you have to show them to somebody else. You have to run the tests before you check in. And uh, I don't care whether you can do it in continuous integration and all the other things that we're, we'll work to build, but you need to have some tests. And they said, yeah, those are two principles we could get behind. And we, we could work to those. So in a couple of weeks, I'm headed up there again, and I'm going to propose to the much smaller than 1,500 developers, but still a fair number, that we adopt those principles. And my expectation is, and the expectation I've set with the client, is that those developers and their different teams will come up with different approaches that match the principles. Some of them will say, yeah, we can do CI. We're, we're going to build it and run it every day, every, every, every check-in. And others will say, man, I think I could run those tests every two weeks. And I'll say, great, you're both following the principle that all code has tests. Right. <laughs> so I really like that story, how you've, you've picked a piece and then people were able to evolve around it, adopt it and make it part of what they're doing. And the other thing I like about that story is you had a behavior that you could observe what they were doing. And... Uh, if you if you said, well, what do you think are the principles and thoughts of this organization? You might have written up a story about what kind of people they were, what they valued, and believe them really committed to it. And in getting in and talking to them as actual people, you maybe would find them to be more uh, open uh, to changes than than you might have thought from the outside. That is absolutely true. I was um, kind of despairing and losing the will to live in the first few weeks as I observed them stumbling around doing things I remember doing in 2001. And then I came to understand better what they were open to and what they were willing to consider as part of having that dialogue. But that was very much a dialogue about changes to the, the thinking of the organization. And uh, it was much broader than my initial remit. 
which was the expert to come and sprinkle the juice to, to help them <laughs> go go faster. So I, I think that might be what Fowler is suggesting we do. And I think a lot of the principles and ideas about difficult conversations and listening more carefully and jointly designing are the tools that at least you and I use, Jeffrey, to make those kinds of changes that he's suggesting. Yep. And uh, absolutely. And I think that also, if you think back to the question we talked last week, which was the perceived um, conflict between sort of agile principles and learning quickly the things we talk about and planning and architecture, it was another example of these sort of false dichotomies uh, where you could say um, people have this image that's that they think things are in conflict and having sort of bringing these communication principles around joint design, you find a way that get to people's interests and you can find a way to to move forward together in a in a more fluid way and one that actually would be consistent with with, with the agile uh, spirit because it goes so far and I really I think this is the last thing I'd want to bring in from what Fowler brought up he said if we really believe here in that people are are choosing and evolving the processes that they follow based on their project and the circumstances they're in um, that means that uh, perhaps if the team doesn't want to work in an agile way then Agile probably isn't appropriate for that context. And kind of bizarrely, not using Agile is the most Agile way they can do things <laughs> in some strangely twisted world of logic. If you and I, as Agile uh, believers, and also then as part of theory why believers, believe that people want to do the best thing and uh, should be empowered, then sometimes that will mean uh, that they're empowered to to not uh, apply agile practices that we might be really attached to, uh, which it sounded like what you experienced, you would have liked them to do elephant carpaccio, but they said, well, that's not right for our circumstances. And, and they were right, to be honest. I agree with them. And, and there we go. And and so you came in with one mindset, but you were able to listen to them and, and similarly be flexible and say, right, well, then let's find the things that are appropriate. And uh, and that's the a, a really great example of um, what happens when you are and really bringing the spirit of agile rather than the acting as a industrial supplier of agile as part of the agile industrial complex and trying to sell the snake oil of you know the one the one true way of agile that we will then roll out and uh, and con conquer all our enemies with and i think that probably explains your questioner at uh, the kitcon conference who said gosh i'm i'm struggling with this notion that um, my, my boss says I have to roll it out to 1,500 developers, tell me the one true way. The answer might be, well, the one true way is a set of principles, and that means they're going to execute in different ways, but the thing you can roll out to them is this set of, uh, of un underlying ideas. So it might not be surprising that some of them actually adopt something that doesn't look at all like Agile. All right. So that's the first problem Fowler highlighted. Uh, I think our, our intention is to come back to um, uh, this topic, uh, his, his other two problems that he listed. Um, and, uh, but I think this has been really uh, good for today. Hopefully people uh, can recognize uh, some of what we're describing in their own experiences, uh, either with uh, the large organizations that uh, are looking for the, the, the magic fairy dust, uh, the agile juice, uh, or maybe they have more exposure to the agile industrial complex and the people s selling the, uh, the one true solution.
Excellent. And we love questions on either one. Something we haven't talked about as much, although we've referred to it, is methods of making those sorts of changes and how you use joint design, what sorts of questions I asked my client and how I worked with them to come up with solutions. There's a bunch of techniques there. We would love to talk about more, and if you have examples, please ask us about them because we'd, we'd love to be prompted there. We, we'd also love if uh, listeners hit that subscribe button and said we'd, we want to get the, the next two episodes at least of this uh, podcast. That really helps us build our numbers and uh, understand what people want to hear about and what helps them. So uh, please subscribe. Go to troubleshootingagile.com to drop us an email to ask us a question. And we'll look forward to seeing you to cover more of the State of Agile 2018 next week. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.